Just hit a button, Morty. Give me a beat. Oh, man. Okay. All right. Um. That's the worst 3 2 1 ever in a build. That's like it's easily it's the longest 3 2 1 I've ever well, heard. That's what life. we're fucking live now, bro. We're live. Welcome back to Not Your Weekly Sports Pod. Congratulations on making it to this episode. Congratulations to the three amigos. We're back, y'all. Finally, Chef finally decided to stop having a life and rejoining us on this ambitious podcast. Good to have you back, dude. Thank you, man. Thank you. Feels like a blessing. Always meeting you guys. Especially you, Naboo. I miss you. I miss you too, bro. Miss the best by days. Especially especially Nabil, huh? Wow. Oh, yeah, no, no. I'm the, I'm the afterthought. Wall, you know, it's all you just heard my boy Wallace. I'm like James Harden. I'm like, you know, no, 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 no. I'm yeah. like James Harden in quarters one through three of a Nets game. You just forgot about me. I'm just in the background. It's all good. Nabil, do you want to be really... Kyrie? Who do you want to be, Nabil? Look, bro, I'll be more than happy to be Kyrie Irving. The I'm, I'm, the, I'm the tallest amongst us three, all right? I'll, I'll, I'll choose the KD for, for right now. Damn. All right, I'll be Kyrie. I'm going to have to just grow my hair out a little bit. Look like I just woke up. Out of the three of us, I don't I don't know which of us would have like the burner Twitter accounts to be KD. I don't I don't feel like any of us are petty enough. We're all pretty real dudes, but uh, I mean, Chef, I guess it's by elimination you've got to be the KD of the group. Welcome to the snake life, brother. Yes. <laughs> yes. All right, guys. So hey, I say congratulations because this is a real special episode that we're hitting off with. Not your weekly sports pod. This is the Oscars, y'all. This is the Basketball Oscars, where we're going to dive in to the Academy Award winners for Big Three Basketball in the NBA. And when I say Big Three, I'm not talking about Ice Cube's little bullshit project that he tried to whip out for a couple of years with <laughs> retired basketball players and Smoothie Joe Johnson. I'm talking about this era of basketball that we live in now, the Big Three era. So just to kind of like set this off here... Listening to uh, ESPN, Jay Williams, another Dookie. I feel like there's a Dookie reference every few episodes here. Jay Williams had the audacity to come out uh, this past week on ESPN and straight up make the claim that the Brooklyn Nets' new big three of arguably one of the greatest, silkiest offensive players ever in Kevin Durant, I think the greatest offensive player in James Harden, and I think the most talented under-the-rim basketball player Kyrie Irving as the greatest big three he's ever seen assembled in NBA history. So to respond to this audacity with our platform that rivals that of ESPN, we got to have the Academy Awards for big threes in NBA history. How do y'all feel about this? Give me your first thoughts. Bro, it's about goddamn time that we have this this uh, this Oscar format. I mean, first and foremost, we all know Hollywood let us down with no movies this year. So, you know, we got we to gotta pull up on them and, you know, give them the actual... Uh, give, give him the faux pas on what it should actually be. And the second of all, just looking at Jay Williams, Jay Williams, man, you've lived through some, you know, you've lived through some basketball in your life. You you yourself have been dookie. You've watched and covered the, you know, the NBA in such a long time. Let us actually go over all these historical big threes who, in all honesty, have actually won something and have actually accounted for something, unlike this unproven yet extremely talented Brooklyn Nets team. So I'm ready to dive in, uh, dive in, bro, and actually get into some of these teams, man. Let's so first go. off, let's go. First off, I do think this Brooklyn Nets big three is you know, talent-wise pretty pretty freaking awesome, right? I mean, you got three guys all in their prime. KD probably towards the tail end because of injuries and age, but three guys who can get you buckets 
at an elite level. And when the three of them have played together, the rare instances in which we've seen, they've they've looked like a pretty dominant basketball team. So we'll see what happens, but we're not going to include them in any of our categories simply because, you know, the sample size isn't there yet. But guys, I've got the Brooklyn Nets winning the NBA championship this year. I'm, I'm going to come out and say it. I'm sorry. Wow. You know, the Los Angeles Lakers, I think that short, unprecedented 71-day offseason that they had is going to catch up to them, especially with a 36-year-old LeBron and an AD, who's been probably the biggest disappointment of the season so far. Nabil, I know you picked AD to be your preseason MVP yeah. this year. He's he's really let me down, man. His numbers yeah. across the board have been lower, and, and he hasn't looked like that guy to take over a Lakers game on a team that, you know, night in and night out, they've had a few lineup adjustments they've had to make as well. Yeah, no, I would agree with you. And I think the thing with AD is um, I, I don't think he's understanding his role on this team, which it's weird because, you know, LeBron still playing at an all NBA level, which is still really just weird to me. But the fact <laughs> that I don't think that LeBron, or I'm sorry, AD wants to accept that alpha dog role and is still deferring to LeBron. So I'm still getting some questions with that. And I think, you know, I, I don't want to say last year was a fluke for him, uh, but I do want to say that you know, I, I think the Lakers have a solid chance to repeat. But, bro, I, I, I don't see uh, I, I don't see Brooklyn coming out of the East, man. I mean, I'm oh. looking at Philly. Philly's looking like Joel Embiid's looking like the MVP of the league right now. And Daryl Morey's looking like GM of the GM of the year right now. I mean, that team is looking damn good. And every time I look at Brooklyn, I keep thinking of those games that they have with the Cavs, if you remember. You know, if you put up 145, this other team can put up 148. Like, there's there's no defense played for for this team whatsoever. Which I understand if you have three guys that can drop 50 at will anytime, you really don't need to worry about defense. But it worries me when you start getting into a five game or seven game series with a team consistently. Uh, can you sustain that level of offense for a long period of time? And if you can, um, isn't that going to tire out at some point? Or are you going to reach some? You know, are you going to reach a point where you can't do that, and teams are essentially going to figure you out? So. I think that this is great uh, basketball, very entertaining to watch. You know, it's probably some of the most entertaining basketball I think we've seen in a very long time. But I think from a sustainability standpoint, it's going to be sustainable for three guys that are very alpha, high usage players as well. Chef, I got two questions I want to ask you, but real quick, let me address a few of the things Nabil said. Absolutely, you're not going to win playoff series giving up 140 plus <laughs> points. It, across multiple games, especially, you know, you're going up against teams that are a little more potent than the Cavs. So that, that's not going to cut it in the playoff series. That's not going to cut it against the Celtics, the Bucks, the Sixers. And you said it, bro. It, the MVP race is a three-way race right now between Nikola Jokic, Joel Embiid, and LeBron James. And I can't wait until we have our midseason award predictions in March. But real quick, the Nets, I don't think, are a finished product. We'll see what happens with the center position and what kind of front court help they get. But Chef, two questions, man. Number one, and I'll go, I'll bounce off this when I hear your answer. Number one, do you think the Nets are coming out of the East just based off what you've seen and knowing they're going to add some pieces and get a little continuity together? I'm going to be honest with you, man. The three guys that they have, man, Kyrie, James Harden, and Kevin Durant, we really can't sleep on them. Like I said, these guys can go out there, Nabil. You said it, they can drop 50 easily. So playing against a team with that sort of strength on the offensive side man can you really even prepare for that like that's just something that I was really thinking about any team in the east right now man I cannot see them even being able to take on without some ease or even how can I put this in the easiest way 
without maybe going to a seven-game series, them beating them. I don't see anybody sweeping the Nets or anything like that. It's definitely going to be something to go and watch. But I think the Nets are coming out there, man. Especially with those three dogs, they're coming out there. Yeah, and, you know, that... James Harden, I mean, we all saw it. You know, he he had a few pregame meals to start the season off, and he's coming into shape. Like, he's using this time as his training camp because of the shenanigans that he pulled with the Rockets in the beginning of the season. So I don't think we've even seen the unguardable tour version of James Harden yet. I think he, we're going to start seeing that later on in April and such. Bro, but I don't Chef understand Gun- James, man. I don't understand James Harden and the fact of like how you can show up <laughs> so out of shape, right? lose weight, gain weight. Like, dude, the UFC, these UFC play, like fighters should take like complete notes from James Harden on how you drop 10 pounds and gain 10 pounds in like a fucking, like in a I feel like it's all in the angles they're taking these pictures and I'm seeing it. <laughs> they get I his chunky the, side one if, time. If and- the women can do it, he can do it in a bill. Because he's Oh, I've yes, seen this yes. guy look malnourished, <laughs> and then the next day look like he's been eating his whole life. So if I mean, someone, like, this guy is Houdini with them pictures. If someone can catfish you on Hinge, Bumble, Tinder, imagine what James Harden with his millions of dollars, his strip club producers, oh. his his rosé diet. I feel like that's a big <laughs> part of it too. Rosé is a very easy alcohol to get out of your system, to sweat out of your system, and you know I think. Like you said, Nabil, there's a lot to learn from him when it comes to those UFC guys and those wrestlers. But, Chef, gun to your head right now. Nets, Lakers, seven-game series. Who do you got? Gun to my head? I got the Lakers, dude. Okay. Yeah. I mean, it's you can't bet against LeBron. I put money on Brady in the Super Bowl because I don't want to bet against greatness. And LeBron is still, I think, you cannot the top get guy. Him, exactly, dude. You cannot have him out of the question, regardless of who he's facing. It's not an easy route for these guys to be going to that championship. There's no way, dude. Especially with him Agreed. still in the league, with AD he, in his back pocket, man. There's no way. He looks like a bodybuilder. There was a still frame shot of him in that blue retro Lakers uh, jersey, and and he looked better than I've I've ever seen him look. So, which actually brings me to our first Oscar category. You guys ready to dip in and open up the award ceremony, the Academy Awards, the first ever not your weekly sports pod. Oscars award tour. Y'all I got my boys bag ready? of popcorn ready, bro. Let's do it, bro. Come on now. All right, fellas. We're going to open this up with, I think, <laughs> one of the more anticipated awards that you see at the Oscars. We're just going to whip it out. All right. We're going with the best actor. Essentially, what this award is, is who is the best player on a big three that you've seen in a single given season. And after these awards, We're going to give you our movie equivalent. We're going to give you guys who we thought was our favorite Oscar category winner in that respective category. So to open this up, the best actor in a big three. Nabil, who do you got, man? Who's the best player you've seen in a single season in a big three setting? So – Granted, I wasn't able to actually watch this man because I was probably, you know, two years old when this happened. But from everything that we've seen from historical, you're context, going, you're going Jordan, aren't you, bro? Ninety-five, ninety-six Jordan. Give me, give me ninety-five, ninety-six Jordan, bro. <laughs> Seventy-two and ten. This was Jordan that just went undefeated in the it, it like this guy didn't go seven games in a freaking series and we're looking at over 30 points a game in his mid-30s i mean that's the it's just the best thing i've ever seen over here the best offensive and defensive player in the league i mean michael jordan 95 96 bro give me give me mj 
Yeah, they, I think I think one of the more underrated aspects about Jordan post baseball, or I should say Jordan post being suspended by David Stern for gambling addiction and ties to the mafia, if we're being real. Give the Corzemba shout out, bro. <laughs> <laughs> I think the most incredible thing about that, he comes back as a 32-year-old. Well, really, he comes back as a 31-year-old towards the second half of the 94-95 season where they lost to the Orlando Magic who went on to get swept by your Houston Rockets. <laughs> hey. Yes, but the most, the most impressive thing about that second three-peat, and Nabil, or just to clarify, your big three for that three-peat is MJ, Rodman, and uh, Pippen, Scott, right? Scotty Pippen, yep, absolutely. Man, you know Michael Jordan didn't miss a single regular season game 82. from the age of 32 to 34. 82 yeah, games played bro. regular season. A three-peat where he didn't miss one game in any of those, in any of those years. And this that's is, amazing. you know, this isn't when he's 25, 26, 27. He's 32, 33, and 34. That's amazing. And he probably has his, he probably has his best season shooting the ball as well, right? It, one of the highest three-point attempt marks of his career in about three a game, shooting 43% from the three-point range. That's that's incredible for MJ. When one of the biggest blemishes on career is being that he never really developed that outside three-point shot, aside from a few instances like the final series against Drexler's Blazers. Yeah, he'd still give you 40 and 9 in the playoffs. Like, it's no big deal. He took offense shooting to that. 12%, percent, yeah, sh- shooting, shooting 12% uh, three-point, sh- being a 12% three-point shooter, he'll give you 40 and 9 in the playoffs and win, uh, take his team to the finals every year. So Yeah, that, that's a good one, man. Uh, so who's your best actor in the Academy Awards? Let's go back to Hollywood for a oh, second. Oh, man, if we're going back to Hollywood, my best actor has to be the guy who's won it more than any other person in the world. Give me Daniel Day-Lewis, man. This guy, we're talking about Daniel Day Lewis in Lincoln. I'll, I'll, I'll take his, I'll take his portrayal of Lincoln. Um, seeing somebody non, like an un-American, portray probably the most patriotic figure in American history, most beloved figure probably in American history, and play it to a T in which you couldn't realize who he was. Yeah, man, Dan- Daniel Day Lewis's performance in Lincoln for me was probably bar none, and uh, you know, I think it's safe to say that. Um, if we're talking just accolades, you know, he's probably the Michael Jordan when it comes to the Screen Actors Guild. Uh, name another actor who's won as many awards for, you know, so many different performances as uh, Daniel Day-Lewis. So, yeah, man, for me, it's yeah, synonymous. Daniel Day-Lewis is Michael Jordan. Probably the greatest method actor um, maybe in the history of Hollywood, right? Absolutely. For a second there, I thought you were going to go, there will be blood, Daniel Day-Lewis, which was, that was also which amazing. Person- Personally, I still haven't seen Lincoln. Don't don't shoot me down for it. Don't berate me for it. But Daniel Day Lewis in There Will Be Blood, just a chilling character, man. That that end yeah. scene where he's sitting in his bowling alley drinking a milkshake, fucking phenomenal. One one of the greatest performances I've ever seen. So I'm sure he lived lived up to the hype in Lincoln as well. Oh, man. Let, me, let me ask y'all something because clearly you guys watch a lot more movies than I do. But damn, bro, how much time do y'all have on your hands to be watching these many movies? Because I'm writing down every single title that y'all speak of, and I'll watch these movies, and I've been sleeping on them. What bro, the, the Prestige, hell? right? Dude, you, the Prestige, you... unbelievable. I was sitting there like, dude, how did I not realize this movie was out for such a long time and didn't watch it? I feel so stupid. Bro, there's a, so many movies that, like... I think that just shows to like the historical context of how good movies were throughout the world. That bro, you could pick up a movie that you that, that was probably 20 years old and you'll watch it and you'll be like, wow, what the hell have I missed my whole life? 
Like, you know, I think that's the thing about movies is like you'll watch them and it's like, wow, I didn't even know this thing existed. And it's one of the great, you know, greatest things I've ever seen. Well, see, Nabil, I am a child. You are, you're a child. So half those movies, I need my parents' permission to watch. Bro, look, we'll call, we'll call your dad and we'll get his permission right then and there, all right? <laughs> all right, oh, so man. so let me let me give you all my best actor. Chef, I, I hope you don't mind if I go first because, of course, sure. after my after Michael Jordan, there's only there's only one other actor that you can go with, right? Nabil, I Absolutely. think you know where I'm going with this. You have to. So for my best actor, I'm revisiting the team that revolutionized basketball, y'all, or at least revolutionized the way players decide on their future in basketball. I'm going with the 2012-2013 Miami Heat, the nice. Heatles, Heatles as they're affectionately known. Mr. Volo, we had the same person in mind. All right, so so, okay. so LeBron James, Chef, feel free to piggyback off me anywhere at this point, but I'm just going to hit y'all with some facts. LeBron James in 2012-2013, I think the only other time where I've seen him at this level was probably 2009 LeBron James. But this 2012-2013, I think this is the most complete – dominant version of LeBron James I have ever seen in my life. And y'all know I'm, I'm a LeBron stan. I've, I've studied him. I'm not quite at the level of Nick Wright where I'm putting peanut butter down his entire shaft and, and consuming it on a daily basis. But well, I'm, pretty, I'm pretty, yeah, I'm, I'm aspiring yeah. to be that level of LeBron <laughs> fan. But this 2013 version of LeBron, guys, this is a Beatles team, keep in mind, while I don't think this is the most talented Heat team, simply because this is the year I think Dwayne Wade, you started to see the flash Dwayne Wade start to dwindle and he becomes really a more of like a top 20, top 25 guy in the league as opposed to being a top 10 guy the first year the Heat were together and probably a top 15 guy their second year together. But LeBron James made up for it. He made up for that regression that you saw in Dwayne Wade in 2013 where at the age of 28, right in the midst of his prime, LeBron James gives you 27 points, eight rebounds, eight assists, 57% from the field as a wing guy, shooting a career-best 41% from three, hoisting them up, right? A lot of people are watching the Lakers this year and thinking, wow, LeBron James has developed that three-point step back. No, that three-point step back was there in the 2013 season. And he really emphasized expanding his game after the biggest blemish in his career being up against the Dallas Mavericks team of 2011, where he couldn't stress the court and they were able to limit him and who he was. So he has that record breaking season, 64% true shooting and a 32 PER. That's the fifth highest PER we've ever seen from a player in NBA history. And it would have been even higher if he didn't have a pedestrian 60% free throw shooting. That really hurt his case. So that season, he goes on to be all NBA first team. He's all NBA defensive first team. He's second in voting for defensive player of the year. He got robbed by Mark Gasol, who, who, who only won it because the Grizzlies led the league in defense. I think Tony Allen had a larger part, not a larger part, but an equal part in doing that for the Grizzlies. And again, LeBron would have been the first unanimous MVP in NBA history had not one media member voted for Carmelo Anthony of the New York Knicks this year because they thought that the Knicks wouldn't make the playoffs without Melo. Horrible reasoning. LeBron got robbed of the first unanimous MVP that year. So this version of LeBron James, I think, man, you know, the, the Heat go on to win 27 games in a row. They break, you know, that second all-time for win streak. You guys know who they upended 
to take that second all-time ranking? What team? The Bulls. Nabil, who do you think? Rockets? The 0-9 Rockets, baby. The Pocket Rockets with Aaron Dang. Brooks, Kyle Lowry, Sko Landry, Yao Ming. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, yeah, man. This is LeBron James at his peak. And for who I think is the greatest player in NBA history, pairing him next to a top 20 guy in Bosch and another top 15 to 20 guy in Wade, I think you've got your best actor here for arguably one of the best big threes in NBA history. I think the the Heatles are probably one of the three best big threes ever. Yeah, I'm, I'm not going to deny that this was in, – in all my years of watching LeBron – this, this was, was my year, favorite. Dude. Yeah, this is like Miami Heat. LeBron was LeBron that just got like turned to Super Saiyan, right? Like I think like after winning that first championship, uh, my boy just went full Super Saiyan mode on them, and this Heat turned like Super Saiyan two and three after freaking going here. Um, and yeah, by the time I I think I think losing to Dallas was probably the greatest thing to happen to LeBron James. I, I really do believe that. It was like the biggest what the fuck moment for him. It, it was because right? I think no, because I think deep down LeBron knew like, hey bro, there's no way Dirk Nowitzki is a better basketball player than me. And I, I think objectively, as basketball fans, we could say that Le- as amazing as Dirk was, Dirk and LeBron aren't in the same breath. And for him to dominate <laughs> LeBron like that, or yeah, to him for him to dominate LeBron to the level that he did. LeBron came back with a vengeance, and Ball, yeah, to your point, bro, uh, this was the best version of LeBron James I've ever seen, and this, you know, harkens back to even the second tri- run that he had with Cleveland, uh, and to this uh, most pre, you know, most recent run that he had with the Lakers. Uh, I don't think I've seen more of a more physically dominant LeBron uh, than the Heatles LeBron, and more importantly, a LeBron that was actually, you know, becoming a much better uh, three-point shooter, had a much better touch around the rim as well. Uh, this was that that complete LeBron that complete LeBron that could not be stopped physically, but at the same time you could not give him an open shot or you know give him any space because he's gonna drain that open three in your face. Um, so yeah, bro, there's uh, there's nothing I could say about how good LeBron was here. Dude was absolutely phenomenal, and I think unanimously the best player in the league bar none at that time. Yo, what uh, chef? Let me ask you this: since we got the same guy here, what stretch from what year to what year? Has LeBron been the best player in the league? Because, I mean, I, I think we're bordering on probably the longest stretch in NBA history of a guy being the top dog, of a guy being the Tony Soprano of the NBA, the head of the family, the, head, the dawn of the mafia, so to speak. When did it start? And, I, again, I, I don't think it's ended just yet. Honestly, I think Nabil brought up a good point, man, that Nowitzki lost, really, from that point on. I think that was like a big wake-up call for this guy. Having two dynamic pieces around you with the Chris Bosh and Dwayne Wade, for you to lose, like Nabil said, a guy like Dirk Nowitzki, who's not even in the same bracket or sometimes even in the same conversation as a guy like LeBron, you know, I think that was his wake-up call. So from then on, dude, I think he's just been on the top of his game Pretty much dominating the league, man. What do you think? What year do you think this started? Man, I would argue that we had the conversation of LeBron being the best player in the league. I would say this was probably after, I think, Kobe ended up winning that championship. I I would actually say... After say probably his first one or the second one? The second one. I would say about 08. I would say at the, at the end of yeah. 08 is when we started getting in that conversation that... Uh, LeBron is probably the best. So if we're talking what 08 to 20, 
That's shit. What? Twelve Jesus, years? Dude. Yeah, twelve years of being considered the best player in the league. Nuts. That's crazy, yeah. man. And I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, he's he hasn't fallen off a cliff. I mean, I would say fuck. This year he's playing better than he did last year, right? Like it's it's scary to even think, but I think he's playing better this year than he did last year. And uh, I mean, he, he's still just as efficient, if not, you know, sure he has a, a couple of less assists, but I mean. I would argue that he's actually been more efficient with the with his ball handling this year than he was last year. So it, it's scary, man. I, I don't know how much longer this guy has at, pl- at playing at this level. You think he's just going to try to develop a different style of a game to you go should. ahead and just long elongate his? Dude, I, I really just turn into turn into Carl Malone. That's my yeah, thing. Bro, exactly. I, I see him either. I see him being a hybrid of two players. I see him being a hybrid of Carl Malone, like you said, Vala, and uh, Magic Johnson. Right, just being a point guard that can just bully just you by just posting, point guard. dude, just a, a point guard that starts posting you up from the three-point line. If you're if you're <laughs> if you're if you're literally Chris Paul or a point guard that's like six foot two, six foot three, what do you do like trying to guard this guy? And then you probably end up in a switch, and where you're probably if you're six foot two, six foot three, you probably end up switching on a wing who's probably six nine, six ten, or God forbid, you're in the post trying to guard Embiid, right? Like you know, it, it's. It, or or not NBA yeah, AD right like that would that would just suck so yeah it's an it's a matchup nightmare and LeBron I think if he can just sustain his uh, physique which I think you know that's very plausible yeah I, I think it could be another two three years potentially of this happening which is just again unreal to think about. So uh, chef, let me ask you, man. As far as the best actor award in Hollywood goes, do you have one here, bro? Um. A specific movie. Damn. It doesn't if have. If it doesn't have to if be. If we're just talking to talk right now, Bohemian Rhapsody. Who's the? Ooh. Who's Freddie Mercury? Real quick. Hold I mean, Malik. Yes. Yeah. Sir, bro. He destroyed yeah. that role, man. I think that was probably one of his best movies. I'm. I'm a big fan of Queen. I'm gonna be honest. So this movie was just something to me. But he killed it, bro, man. So I'm, I'm gonna have to give it to him. Well done. Well done. Uh, I, I was torn on this one. You know, I was a big fan of Adrian Brody from The Pianist. The, pianist. the World War The Pianist? The pianist? <laughs> the World the War II movie? Yeah, bro, that's the proper term, The Pianist. So, oh, wow. wow. You wow. learn every, you learn something new on this cultured podcast we run every, every week. But his performance in that movie, man, portraying a struggling Jew in the ghetto during the peak of the Holocaust... It was chilling, man. It, it really, I, I don't think a performance like that for a genre that's really been explored ad nauseum has been put to the test. But I, just personal favorite, I'm going to push him aside and I got to go with Denzel Washington in Training Day. When he won that Oscar in, when he won that Oscar Bad, in 2001, man. that's Denzel at his peak. That's, you know, prime Denzel Washington. What a day. What a motherfucking day. Right. I mean, the the one liners that he threw in that movie are unmatched. You disloyal, fool ass, bitch made punk motherfucker. You shot me in the ass. My N word. You know, King Kong ain't got shit on me. That's right. So Denzel in this movie, bro. I mean, the the introduction to Denzel in this movie also where, uh, you know, the green, very green character of Jake comes into the uh, the coffee diner to meet him for his first day of training. And Denzel just opens it up with, tell me a story, Jake. And from that point on, you're, you know, you're in for a ride. You know, this motherfucker is made of some brass balls. So Denzel Washington training day takes a cake for me, y'all. 
Bruh, that was... I think Training Day is probably one of Denzel's most memorable movies um, amongst a filmography that rivals any actor in Hollywood. But I remember seeing this, like, yo, what the fuck is Ethan Hawke doing in this movie? And then you see Denzel Washington just put on a performance for the agents right here, bro. And can we, can we get a shout-out for Eva Mendez in probably the most clutch uh, uh, side-piece role of all time in this movie, bro? Come on now. I, mommy. She killed oh. that. She, she definitely did. But, bro, I'm, I'm with you 100%. Shout out to good old Denzel Washington and his son now, who seems to be a, a Nolan love uh, love life right here, bro. Yeah. Hey, it's in the family, bro. This shit's chess. It ain't checkers, as he Ooh, said in the movie as well. I love it. All right. So we're closing it out. Best actor category. Nabil, the real deal. Sex appeal. Fresher than the color. Teal. Sucker vagina. Then keel is going with Michael Jordan from the 96 Bulls. And Chef Boyardee and Ball of the Ball are going with 2013 LeBron James on the Heatles. Let's move on to the next category, y'all. Y'all ready for this? Give it to me, baby. So we're piggyback off of the best actor. We're going to go here, best supporting actor. Who was the second best player? The best second best player, I should say, on a big three team. Give me the team. Give me your player. Chef, you want to lead us off on this one, brother? Yeah, man. I feel like this one is sort of easy for me. Second best player out of the best big three. I'm going with Steph Curry, 2018 Warriors, yes! man. Yes! Like, there's no way you're going to tell me there's a better second best player than Steph Curry with a KD on a roster with the Clay Thompson. There's this, what was the stat line? What, 26 points, six assists, almost five rebounds. Four and a half threes, bro. That's just ridiculous right there. And almost, what, 64% shooting? Come on, man. This guy was the best supporting character to a Batman that there can be out there. I mean, this was a little weird for me to say because, I mean, I saw them play, but I got to go with Steph Curry, dude. Okay. It hurts me to say, yeah, it hurts me to agree with you, Chef. Uh, KD, 29 years old, in his prime, Former MVP, Steph Curry, 29 years old, in his prime, was just the unanimous, the first ever unanimous MVP in NBA history, and arguably has like just as good a season in 2018 yeah. than his unanimous MVP season in 2016. You listed all the numbers, man. That that was absolutely nuts to me. What makes it even crazier is the efficiency by which he did it. Right, he he was a member of the 50, 40, 90 club where he shot 50% from the field, 40% from three, 90% from the free throw with a 68% true shooting percentage, the greatest ever for a guard. And this is a guy who takes a lot of tough threes, right? It's not, you're not shooting 40% from three as Kyle Korver, just spotting up and getting assists made for you from your other guys. He's going between the leg, behind the back, stepping back. Pulling up from 30 feet. Bobbing and weaving through like five screens. Just and and I, think, I think Steph Curry is a part of a very unique club during this season where he's a part of the tough shot makers club. I think there's three guys in NBA history who just made ridiculous shots. And th- these shots would be horrible players, horrible shots for other players, but they just had the balls and the know-how to make them. The other two guys on this list are Kobe Bryant and Tracy McGrady for me. Just the fadeaways, <laughs> guys in their face, lifting up like 10 feet to get the shot up. 
Steph didn't have to do it with his, his athleticism, but his ability to have these numbers, a 28 player efficiency rating uh, with his height and the lack of just being able to dominate athletically is one of the most impressive feats. And I agree with you, man. I, I think he's the greatest supporting actor with that 2017, 2018 Golden State team, the second year that the three of he, Kevin Durant, and Clay Thompson are together. My guy Nabil, man. What's Damn. up? We got Hold up. Right over there. Nabil, you got for Nabil, it? Nabil, are you on the same page as us? Because if not, we're going to have to go with our movie. Okay. So not, movie bro. award. Go who's your it. Who's your greatest supporting actor, Chef? That, man, I have nothing. I'm going to have to go watch the movies real quick, but I have nothing. Oh, you've watched one, uh, Chef. I know you've I'll watched probably one. Do, I'll that probably I... do Brad Pitt in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I'll probably give him that was a good supporting one. I actor. He got the nomination. I don't know if he won it, but bro, Brad Pitt in Once Upon a Time was legendary. Phenomenal. He absolutely killed that role. Chef, I'm going to give you one, and you'll instantly agree with me. Ready? Yeah. Three, two, so, one. Heath Ledger from The Dark Knight. <laughs> That's easy. All right, perfect. There you go. I mean, the probably the greatest villain we've ever seen in a movie in Hollywood history. It's to know that this guy wanted to go ahead and OD, or whatever the case may be, and he didn't want to go ahead and make another movie for us? He didn't want to do that before you did your other things? Like, Yeah, that's a, that's, on, a fascinating, that's a fascinating what if, is, you know, The Dark Knight Rises. How would that movie have even been formatted if you still had Heath Ledger around to include his character? Because the last scene we see of Heath Ledger and, and Batman, Christian Bale's Batman in The Dark Knight, is Heath Ledger is saying, we're destined to do this forever, right? What happens when you have an immovable object with an unstoppable force so yeah man that's that's a that's a tragic way to end it wikipedia so irresistible force paradox also called the unstoppable force paradox or shield and sphere paradox is a classic paradox formulated as y'all hear that yeah alexa pretty much telling you to like hey bro that the fbi agent in my house uh just picked up on some (laughs) keywords Right. Villain and what if <laughs> and immovable object, unstoppable force. I think I said some keywords here. To get running swatted in. real oh quick. Oh my god! Bro. Yeah, Nabil, go ahead, man. We we gave you something that's going to be hard to follow up, but what you got, man? Bro, for me, okay. So if we're going by the context, historical context of the big uh, big three, I look at three guys that would consistently end up winning a championship, um, and by that accord. The second best player I have ever seen on a championship big three has to be Kobe Bryant in 2001. Uh, what is there to say about young Kobe Bryant, bro? This was the year that, you know, the early, the early first three-peat of the LA Lakers where Shaq was by far the best, alpha, you know, he was the alpha male on that team. He was the most dominant force I think we had seen up till that point in the NBA history. And being able to, you know, and, and being able to just run roughshod over any defense uh, that you put against him. And here comes Kobe Bean Bryant, probably becoming uh, the best shooting, one of the best shooting guards in the league at that time and solidifying himself as the best shooting guard in the league uh, in the second championship that they end up winning in this three-peat. Kobe ends up going from averaging 21 points a game in the playoffs to averaging a 30-piece in the playoffs. Jesus he Christ. ends up being second-team All-NBA uh, all NBA defensive while becoming, the year before, he was first-team All-NBA defensive. He's second-team All-NBA. And more importantly, 
two-time NBA champion in this as well. And, I mean, if you just look at the way that the L.A. Lakers ran rough shot through the playoffs at that time, they, they lost the one Blazers. game. Yeah, dude. Yeah. What do you do? You lost one game in the fucking finals to Allen Iverson. That's it. You swept the Spurs. You swept the Kings. You swept the Blazers to get to the finals, and you lose one game to, the, to Allen Iverson. And Kobe Bryant is probably one of the main reasons in all of this by having an outside-inside presence in Shaq and Kobe. And this was by far, I would say, the best I've seen Kobe Bryant with Shaquille O'Neal. So for me, yeah, man, it, it's a shout out to the OG Black Mamba, Kobe Bryant. Rest in peace. Interesting. Nice. Interesting. Who's your third guy on the Los Angeles Lakers big Fisher, three? Mr. Fisher. Fisher. Big shot. Can we think of like other than Big Shot Bob, another guy that was had clutch moment after clutch moment, knowing where to be there, knowing that triangle offense to a T than Derek Fisher. It's that nasty lefty, bro. I'm it's, telling you, that shot. Every when we're talking yeah. about that that three peat, you can't say that three peat without Derek Fisher's name either, bro. He's not yeah. the you know he's not that star, right? We're not we're not talking about that star level talent, but when we talk about like we're talking about with uh, with Noble, right? Ball like when that uh, when that fit uh, you know amplifies over the talent. Um, yeah, I don't know who fit that role better in that triangle offense other than Derek Fisher, a cash and shoot guy from any point of the court, a guy that can give you a clutch shot. Yeah, man, it, it was Derek Fisher, and he was there the whole time with them. This guy was yeah. so clutch in knowing his role that freaking what Phil Jackson gave him uh, the job to be the head coach of the New York Knicks right out right, without having any experience whatsoever. So yeah, man, for me, it's Derek Fisher as the third best guy on that team. Yeah, and the numbers line up with that. You know, he's third in minutes on that team, the third leading scorer on that team, eleven points a game. You said it, bro. A reliable corner three-point shooter for that triangle offense in case the high elbow goes out to the corner. You shot 40% from the three. So Derek Fisher was that guy. He was the continuity piece during all these Lakers run, both with Shaq and with Pau Gasol in the second half of Kobe's greatness. So that's a good one, dude. I, I, he's probably the weakest third guy of any big three on this list. But oh, Kobe, Kobe and Shaq being at the peak of their powers during this stretch really allows him – yeah, it, it allows it to work. So I'm with you. I agree. Yeah. In 2000, 2001, I would argue at that time that it wasn't – I wouldn't say it was a lot. It was a lot less between one and two, and I think it was more of that one and one A because Kobe Kobe was catching up quickly to Shaq at that time as being the unquestioned leader of that team. And there was many moments in the playoffs where we looked at when Shaq would defer to Kobe, and I was and I think that's when we all knew that yeah, this guy is going to be something very soon. And uh, the legend of Kobe Bean ends up being there, bro. What else? There, what else? What else is there to say in the context of NBA history? Yeah, I mean Shaq, you, Shaq couldn't play the fourth quarter of a lot of those big games, right? Because of because of the free throw shooting, Shaq had to sit up until the two minute mark, from like the seven minute mark to the two minute mark, and so you see Kobe kind of become the the field leader of this team. He only averaged two tenth of a point less than Shaq uh, per game in the regular season. So I mean he was creeping up on him, and I think I think the takeover was real here. And like you said, man, they lost one game. They were they were an Allen Iverson 40-piece in overtime away from being the first team in NBA history to sweep through the playoffs. Crazy. Just absolutely crazy to think about that, man. And, yeah, to, to, to bring this all full circle as well, bro, if we're talking in the context of movies, uh, Chef, I don't know if you've ever watched this movie. Uh, but I'm this, ready for it. This director is probably one of my favorite directors in in Hollywood right now, um, and he gave me one of the most 
fun roles I think I've ever seen as well, uh, played by one of the most underrated actors, I think, in Hollywood. Mm. Uh, I'm talking about Damien Chazelle in Whiplash. J.K. Simmons' performance in Whiplash was probably one of the greatest performances I think I've ever seen uh, in just being scared of a character. Uh, Chef, do yourself a favor. Go watch I got it written down right now, bro. Don't worry. J.K. And then watch the performance of a Terrence Fletcher played by J.K. Simmons, and you will watch. You will not watch movies the same way again. I got it, just, it, just came, it just came out of nowhere, too, yeah. right? Like, J.K. Simmons was always kind of throwaway character in a lot of movies. In Sam Raimi's Spider-Man, the oh, original yeah. Tobey Maguire Spider-Man, he was the newspaper guy. He was always kind of like a background character in, in comedies. I remember uh, he was in, uh, what was it? Uh, don't burn after reading. Yes. But his role in this movie was legendary, man. Yeah. Chef, I'm going to tell you a line here. Don't ever forget this line. There are no two words in the English language more harmful than good job. That's all you need to know about this character. Dale. Yeah, I, I couldn't say it better. Yeah, I think that's that's the best way to think of what this character is. And you'll remember this after you're done watching it too, man. This is going to be one of those movies, uh, Chef, if you're if you're a movie fan, if you're a music fan, uh, and if you're a cinema, I would say if you're just a character development guy, this is probably one of the best movies you're going to watch. Damn, all right. And it's short. I don't care yeah, it's, about that. It's very, very rewatchable. It's very accessible. You know, it's very character focused on these two characters. I, I think anyone would enjoy this movie. If you're listening to this podcast and you haven't seen Whiplash, do yourself a favor. Boom. All right, man. Let's let's, let's keep it going. Speaking of movies, we're going with the best picture category here. This is straight up the best movie when the Oscars roll out. You know, the the movie that takes the cake for being the most well put together, just wholesome, holistically, the apex of all the other movies in Hollywood. And so for the basketball angle with best picture here, we're going with the best NBA big three single season you've ever seen put together. And Nabil, I, I think that Lakers team is really good, bro. I think that's a top-notch choice. The only weakness that they suffer from is I think the NBA was going through a little transition point in the early 2000s. So the talent level of the league I don't think was the greatest. And arguably two of probably the top four players in the NBA at that time in their prime were on the same team in Kobe and Shaq. So for my best picture, the greatest big three team that I've ever seen in my life during a point in which the NBA is just saturated with talent, with names, with star power, it's got to be the first year of the Warriors being put together. The first year of KD, Clay, and Steph, the 2016-2017 Golden State Warriors are the best team that I've ever seen in my life. They go 67 and 15 after their historic 73 win season. They honestly, they could have probably broken that record uh, if they had a little more time together and they didn't care about saving their energy to the for the playoffs in the second half of the season. But regardless, they go 67 and 15. They have the best offensive rating in the NBA. And when we talk about the Nets big three today, saying that hey, you know, if you have the best offense, is that going to get the job done? Well, guess what? The 2016-2017 Warriors had the second best defensive rating in the NBA as well. They had a net rating of 11.6, which was, of course, first in the NBA. And much like the Lakers, they were one game away 
from being the first team in NBA history to sweep through the NBA playoffs. They swept the Blazers. They swept the Jazz. They swept the Spurs. But they lost one game to, I think, a much more talented NBA Finals than what the Lakers faced up against with Allen Iverson. They lost one game to the LeBron, Kyrie Irving, Kevin Love, Big Three Cavaliers, where LeBron and Kyrie Irving just went off. And the Warriors were still within firing distance. So, man, that season, it, it was crazy, man. You had Clay, KD, and Curry all averaging at least 22 points a game. They all shot at least 47% from the field, at least 38% from three. Steph led the league in threes. Guess who was second? Clay Thompson. <laughs> KD was top 15 in threes. Draymond led the league in steals. He was second in defensive rate rating. And the crazy thing about this, looking back on this with the sad lens of being a Houston Rockets fan, is I think this all came together simply because of luck, right? A lot of people forget Steph Curry wasn't really that dude his first four years in the NBA. The dude had glass ankles. And so when he got done with his rookie contract, he didn't really get a massive supermax type salary. So he was still relatively cheap for what he was giving you. Clay was their most expensive player. And so in the 2016 offseason, you had the unprecedented salary cap spike, which opened up room for the Warriors to sign a marquee max salary type free agent. And so we have the snake move of Kevin Durant going to the Warriors and assembling what I think is the most talented big three. Screw that, the most talented team in the history of basketball that I've ever seen. Cool. Yeah, honestly, Vola, to piggyback off that, we actually have the same answer here. Just putting that caliber person of a Kevin Durant on a team as a Golden State Warriors, dude, that just that just sealed the deal. Just that signing of Kevin Durant kind of just guaranteed championship. So you're absolutely right, man. I think that is by far the best team put together in NBA history, bar none. I think they'll definitely they'll take the Bulls for a good run, man. But I, I, I got the I got the Warriors all the way, man. To have those three guys on a team, it literally seems like something that you put together in the game of 2K, bro. You go pick up some people, and you put to, on a blacktop, and that's what you go play. That's what it felt like, man. They just felt like they were toying with everybody in the league with three these three guys dominating. So absolutely, man, I have the Warriors as well as probably the best three ever put together. Yeah, and, and none of those three guys were one-trick ponies, right? No. KD, KD could slide over to the four and let you play that Hampton small ball lineup. He was also a great help side defender with the length he had. Clay was guarding the other team's best player every single night. Curry could just sit out there and, and play the spot-up role if anyone wanted to take over. And you still have a finals MVP off your bench in Andre Iguodala and arguably the best defensive player in the league in Draymond Green to round out the lineup. That was, it was unfair, dude. I mean, that was probably a dark time in the league because there was really, there was not a lot of disparity or parity, I should say, between teams and talent levels. Everyone kind of knew it was Warriors and Cavs in the finals. Um, but just to look back on it, I think 20 years from now, the basketball historians are really going to be in awe of what we got to witness in two finals or two league MVPs in their prime playing together with a bevy of unbelievable talent, the likes of which could probably be the best or second best pieces on a lot of playoff teams. Damn, dude. Well, 
So let me let me give you all. I'm sorry, Nabil. Did you want to chime no, in no, on go, this one? No, go for it. Give me y'all's picture, and then uh, and then I got a I got a rebuttal for you guys. I want to hear y'all's best picture on this. Be- best picture, man. This movie. There's very few movies that really, I feel like are a visceral experience to sit down and reflect on after you're done with them. I feel like horror movies for that reason kind of have a special place in my heart, a horror movie like hereditary, which just makes you sit down and kind of, kind of really just be disgusted with yourself. Like you need a bath after you get done watching a movie like that, a very similar experience when it comes to the human experience overall for me was the 2014 best picture winner guys, 12 years a slave. I was I was absolutely blown away by the surreal portrayal of slave life in this movie where you have none other than Magneto. Who's the actor that plays Magneto? Michael Fassbender, baby. Michael Fassbender in the supporting role of a southern slave owner making life absolute hell for this slave whose journey that we follow from being an educated carpenter to you know, being in the deep South and escaping the the plight of slavery right at the peak of Confederate roots, and, and shout out to Brad Pitt coming in to really be the guy to rescue him from this slavery uh, towards the end of the movie. Little spoiler alert there, but Chef, this is another one, man. This is this is a way heavier movie. This is a movie you've got to be in the mood for, and it's a little lengthier. But if you haven't seen Twelve Years a Slave, my dude, you've got to add this to your list, man. This movie just. It, it's a necessary viewing, especially in today's society when we're lacking empathy for a lot of shit that people are going through, a lot of shit that people can't control, situations that are out of their control with coronavirus, financially, mental health wise. You see a lot of those things portrayed in this movie through the experience of a slave where, you know, in Texas, y'all, I, I don't think we have necessarily the best education on what life was like for these disenfranchised kind of, uh, you know, oppressed demographics like a native american like a slave group so i think it's a necessary viewing for anybody who hasn't seen it in today's day and age damn y'all are dropping nuggets for me right now man well said bro well said i have a good ass week full of movies to watch but shit man i i don't know if this actually won an oscar but did the big short win an oscar Oh my yeah, god. It was nominated. It was nominated though, right? It was nominated, I believe. Jesus sure. Christ. Was was it nominated? No, I don't think it was yeah, nominated, think, bro. It was nominated for Best Picture, Director, Supporting Actor, and Editing. Jesus and I think Christ. it won. It won, it won for adapted screenplay. Nice. Alright, I'm stick with this since it's won something. Well, I'm going with a big short as <laughs> the best big three. As my movie. I don't know if you guys have seen The Big Short. Of course. Okay, Yeah, dude, really, for someone that's being so involved in the real estate industry, man, watching that movie blew my mind. Yeah, the 2000, bro, I can go for, I can literally talk probably about four hours on the subprime mortgage crisis with you, so we could have a good time about that. But this Next is, time we meet up in the bill, we'll sit down. We'll, we'll talk about it for at least two, three hours, how it could have been prevented. Some triple A bonds. Oh, God. Wait until you, wait until you do some <laughs> nice class C bonds right here, bro. And, and the, awesome thing about, the awesome thing about the big short is even if you don't understand real estate or the financial crisis, the bubble situation that we had yeah, uh, that the movie portrays. In the movie too, yeah, yeah. It's, yeah, it's very accessible. It was great. All right, Nabil. 
Damn, bro. I mean, got you left it, out. Go it's hard, it. bro. It's hard to to talk about the Warriors and not think of a better team. But man, the 95-96 Bulls are just one of those teams that I look at and I'm just in awe every time I think more and more in depth about what this team really had. First off, won the championship, won 70 games. Two of your t- two of your three best players were first team All NBA that year. And also first team all defensive that year. And the three, all three of your big three, Rodman, uh, Pippen, and Jordan, were all three of them first team all defense. So you had all three of your best players were the best three defenders in the league. And two of them were the best offensive players in the league as well. And what does that get you? Guess what? First round, you sweep Alon- Hall of Famer Alonzo War- Mourning and Tim Hardaway. You sweep the Miami Heat in the first round. Second round, what do you do? You end up beating Hall of Famer Patrick Ewing 4-1. to one. Literally, you lose only one game to Patrick Ewing in the second round. Eastern Conference Finals, what do you do? I think this is the most impressive thing. You sweep Shaq and Penny, goddammit. And then in the finals, what do you do? You end up beating another Hall of Famer, Gary Payton and Sean Kemp, without going to seven games. So in every round, you beat at least one Hall of Famer. And then you even you went all the way without going to a game seven with three with the three top defensive guys in the league at that time, two of them probably being perennial MVP candidates. Um, yeah, man, for the 95-96 Bulls. Uh, we're definitely, definitely an enigma, an anomaly. You know, insert amazing adjective here, but uh, this was <laughs> the prime of what Scottie Pippen and Michael Jordan really meant for the NBA at that time, bro. So, yeah, man, we're talking old school and new school. For me, it was the 95-96 Bulls. And then uh, if we're going to go back to the best picture, man, this shit was hard. Uh, I was probably, I was legit in a three-way tie uh, for the longest thing on which movie I, I, I could think about. Um, and those three movies that I kept thinking about were um, The Departed in 2006. Ooh. Which, uh, which by far... Greatest gangster movie ever. Easily. Oh, easily. That, The Lord of the Rings, The Return of the King, which was mm. probably the best, uh, you know, the most accolades occurred at the, uh, uh, received at that point with for an Oscar in 2000. Yeah, yeah, it broke the record for most Oscars any movie had ever won. Broke the records previously set by the Titanic. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And that's and the then, movie with the boat. <laughs> I'm just with the boat. Yeah, it's something, <laughs> something like that, right? Something like a little, a little boat, bro. So, and then the final movie that I, I couldn't uh, think of was uh, Schindler's List as well. Probably Schindler's Spielberg. Spielberg's uh, best movie, in my opinion. Um, and then the one, when of, I, one of the best movies ever. Absolutely. Yeah. And then uh, so when I had to break it down amongst those three, I look at for me the uh, uh, the amount of evo- emotion that it, a movie invokes, and I don't think a movie invoked more emotion in me than Schindler's List. And that last scene with Ralph, uh, with uh, with Liam Neeson, uh, when uh, he kept saying. Um, you know why i could have been more it could have been more and you know that kind of just making you really uh kind of just break you know just break down thinking of like damn bro this guy gave everything he possibly could and he still still kept thinking man how could i get more um so yeah man that that movie uh, i would say oscar schindler to michael jordan that, that would be my best picture is uh, schindler's list and best movie or best team being the 95 uh, 95 96 bulls well said, man. Schindler's List is it's on another category for me. Um, but yeah, you, you talk about a movie that's able to t- 
touch so many different feelings inside of you and a movie that does so through the use of black and white, right? Yeah. There's only, there's only one scene, the girl with a little red jacket where you actually see color and the subtleness of that scene and the emotive power that that scene brings you when you discover her jacket in the pile of bodies later on in the movie. Just wow, man. I mean, this is, this is Spielberg's best piece. And I think, <laughs> I think one of the greatest movies ever made a, a young 11 year old chubby Iranian Vala watching Schindler's list was moved to tears, not fully understanding what he was watching, but still understanding the human experience that these people went through is I've never seen anything like it from a world war two movie. And it's right up there with the pianist in terms of power that a, a movie is able to portray through showing the suffering of the people. But Schindler's Lust is in its own category, man. Well said. You got yourself a nice list right here, Chef, that you got to keep watching on me. Dude, I am taking notes for days right now. We're hitting, we're hitting you. We're hitting you with some deep movies. Chef's going to come back on the next podcast a different, different man. man. <laughs> He's <gonna laughs> turtle, turtleneck sweater, legs crossed, brand new glasses. Oh, He's going to have a new haircut. Oh, man. All right, guys, let's keep this moving. Let's go. We've got the best director award. Essentially, the team, I think that the big three that was put together – in the most organic way and was run the smoothest of any big three. So typically the best director in Hollywood is given to a movie that's shot really well, that's aesthetically appealing, and it's a unique directing style that is able to give the message or the story that the movie wants to lay out in the most unique way possible, right? You've got a lot of winners here like 1917, um, you've got Birdman, you've got Saving Private Ryan. So, so think about groundbreaking ways that movies are presented to you and how that translates to basketball for me is, y'all, I've got the OG, not the OG. There's been a few Celtics big threes. I feel like the 80s Celtics big three is a whole different discussion in itself. But the 2008 Boston Celtics big three, getting three guys at the tail end of their primes in a 30-year-old Paul Priest, Paul Pierce, a 31-year-old Kev- <laughs> Paul Paul has been pieced, two pieced many times on ESPN. Uh, he, that was probably no the greatest dude, thing ever. No dude gets bodied more than Paul Pierce on the ESPN set. Oh God. But Paul Pierce, a 31-year-old KG and a 32-year-old Ray Allen. Y'all, this team was unreal to me, right? You think about what they did. They go win 66 games in the East, right as we think. You know, LeBron just had his moment against the Pistons where he scores like the last 27 points, takes them to overtime, and usurps the Pistons dynasty and loses to the Spurs in the final. Everyone's thinking, like, this is it. LeBron's taking over the East. Boom, the Celtics come in and win 66 games. And you've got three guys that I think probably the most organic fits of any big three on this list. You got your go-to score in Paul Pierce. You got Ray Allen as the shooter and KG is the glue guy, the defensive dude, the pick and roll guy, the post up guy, kind of whatever you need him to do, whether it's talk crap to his teammates and calling them cancer victims, whether it's barking at the other team, uh, whether it's throwing elbows or grabbing nuts, that was KG's role. And the crazy thing about this team is, y'all, nobody on this team averaged more than 20 points per game. 
So that's that's really something when you look at their previous seasons on their own teams. Ray Allen playing for a franchise that I think is destined to come back soon in the Supersonics. Ray Allen just got done averaging 26 points a game with the Sonics as an all-star. Pierce just averaged 25-6-5 as an all-star with the Celtics. And KG just led the league in rebounding, giving you 22-13-4 as an all-NBA guy, all-defensive guy, and an all-star. So best director, you know, Doc Rivers leading this cast of guys. First year right out of the gate, best record in the NBA. And going into the finals and beating Kobe Bryant, who was on a mission to prove the doubters wrong. This team was unreal, man. And you didn't even have a prime Rajon Rondo that first year. Rondo was kind of, you know, a second round guy just coming into his own. He really entered his prime probably after KG tore his ACL and all the other guys were starting to wean away. But this team, man, this team had it all. You had offensive weapons. You had the best defensive rating in the NBA. And they probably go on to repeat in 2009 if KG doesn't tear his ACL and misses the entire playoffs. And they might even win it again in 2010 against the Lakers if Kendrick Perkins doesn't tear his ACL going up against a loaded front court of Pau Gasol and Andrew Bynum. Yeah. What do y'all think? What do y'all think about this team? Bro, this team was phenomenal. I remember watching this uh, the Celtics team, and I remember – uh, all the ESPN little ads that they made for it, like the Boston three party. <laughs> Boston and, three party. Yeah, like it, it was it was so funny to to see uh to see that like the three amigos and they're making fun of that. It, it was crazy because I remember at that point, um you know everybody would talk about the Boston Celtics as you know being this historical franchise that's won so many you know so many banners, so many rings, a plethora of talent from Larry Legend, Kevin McHale. John Havlicek, you know, like it just goes on and on and on. These, you know, Sam Jones, all these great um, uh, Celtics players. And up till that point, you know, this for us, at least, you know, born in the 90s, uh, the Celtics have been a mediocre franchise up till that point, really. Uh, never really got that far into the playoffs or anything of that nature, made any, you know, buzz in the East, really, until that 2018 came. And then at that time, uh, we were starting to relive that rivalry back of the L.A. Lakers and Boston Celtics. And the Boston Celtics really, you know, from there on, uh, were a constant contender to be a championship team every year in the East. So, yeah, I think historically that actually, that team uh, kind of rejuvenized that whole Celtics franchise franchise for a new generation of basketball watchers so yeah dude i'm with you i think that was a great team yeah that I was mean, probably it, one of my favorite teams to watch only because i was a big fan of kevin garnett the shit talking the in your face banging my head on the court that was i don't know man that was just i love that because that's how i portray my game when i'm playing football or basketball i'm i'm that shit talker so Having them putting that team together, man, and that catch-and-shoot Ray Allen, that was just fun to watch, to be honest. And Doc Rivers, man, he he put that t- thing together perfectly. Perfectly. I didn't really like Big Baby Davis, but that's fine. It's neither here nor there. I still love the other Big I don't team, like him man. on ESPN either, bro. Yeah, man. I don't know well, what that's Kendrick Perkins, talking. never mind. But, but he did... Yeah, Kendrick Perkins is trash on ESPN, but Big Baby did contribute to one of the greatest bench duos of all time with Nate Robinson being Shrek and Donkey. So that that was pretty pretty solid duo in terms of what you had outside of the big three. So y'all, as far as the best director winner in the Oscars go, I was torn, man. Nabil, 
I gave you my piece about Schindler's List, and that's actually my winner for best director. So I'm not gonna I'm not gonna like repeat what we had to say about it earlier, but Spielberg Saving Private Ryan is Ooh. still up there for me. That's it's like one A one B Schindler's List and Saving Private Ryan. You want to talk about a genre that's been overdone ad nauseum? That's the World War II genre, right? And still to this day, a 1998 movie having the best and most gripping portrayal of the beaches of Normandy in Saving Private Ryan, it still moves me, man. And and I'm I think that's one that I'm gonna rewatch here probably this week if I have an off day. Um, but Schindler's List wins it. Saving Private Ryan close second for me. Both awesome options. Thanks for thanks for whipping it out and putting it on the table, Nabil. Well done. Ooh, boom, you got you, bro. Chef, give me give me yours now, homie. Like, there's what what is there to say for you, homie? Who are your best? I think I think we can we me and Vala could probably go on hours on how great we think Steven Spielberg is as a director, and <laughs> probably one of the few directors that could probably touch every genre of film and give you an all time classic for it. So we'll probably make that another rewatchable and going through every our favorite Spielberg movies. But I want to I want to hear yours now, bro. Give me your favorite. Give me your best director. Man, I have to go with my man Greg Pop and the Spurs. I'm with you, bro. Dude. Let's go. I think that was probably. The best dynasty put together with those three guys, man. Duncan, Tony Parker, and my man Manu Ginobili. Euro step master. Uh, that, that was probably, as much as I hated the Spurs, I loved watching that game, bro. That systematic play that they had with those big three. That, that's got to be my team, man. And the first yeah. year, what they were together, what, 2002 to three? They had a record of, what, 60 and 22? And I think they still had David Robinson on that team too, huh? Yeah, man. I mean, Chef, I, I to piggyback off of you, bro. Like, I I can't say. I'll take all else, the man. piggybacks for you, Nabil. Don't worry. Back days every day, bro. Like, I, I every time I look at the San Antonio Spurs, I know all it hates. It, it hurts us to even remotely say it. But these guys are the Patriots of the NBA. Yeah, dude. I mean, bro. From ninety, I remember when they sucked completely, and they ended up drafting Tim Duncan. And they ended up winning the finals with David Robinson and Tim Duncan in 99. And then from 99 up till 2019, they did not miss getting into the playoffs. That's Shit, no, but what were they called? Duncan Robinson? Duncan Robinson. The hell am I saying? David Robinson and Tim Duncan. Well, I think it was like what, the Twin Towers. Is that what they called them? They called that to Ralph Sampson and uh, Hakeem Olajuwon. But we'll, we'll let it slide for San Antonio too. Whatever. Damn, my bad. No, it's all good, bro. But... That team, yeah, I mean, what what else is there to say? And then there's one architect behind that that run from ninety uh, from ninety nine all the way to twenty nineteen yielded what five championships, five championships, one director, and that one director who was going through the whole thing was Greg Popovich. And I mean, to this day, I think I still have a wet dream of trying to see LeBron James <laughs> play with Greg Popovich at least once in his career. I hope yeah we we end up seeing it. Uh, because I have never seen uh, that type of X's and O's plays, tactile mortician. This guy knew everything inside out. I think he understands the game of basketball more than anybody else I've ever seen other than uh, Kosciuszewski from the college collegiate reign. Uh, but yeah, Gre- Greg Popovich is everything and then some, bro. So yeah, man, much respect to Ginobili, Parker, and Duncan. Uh, but, uh, you know, Greg Popovich knew how to do everything and get it all correct. So best director in a movie for me too, bro. I have to agree with you, chef has to be Greg Popovich. 
Well said, Chef. This is a team that during that stretch from 99 all the way up until Duncan retired, they never had a season under where they won less than 50 games. Their winning percentage was over 0.60% every single season. You You talk about sustained greatness. That's the pain of a Rockets fan is being in the same division as that team for the really the greater part of almost two decades. So, yeah, well said, man. Probably the greatest coach in NBA history in Greg Popovich. I have no qualms with anyone who makes that statement, and I think there's a solid argument for it. And probably, I mean, this is you guys want to talk about the historic importance of the Spurs. This is the first team that emphasized the load management movement. Yeah. Y'all remember the con- you remember the controversy of them sitting out like Duncan and Parker during TNT games and the league fining them for that? This was unheard. This was it was unheard of at the time. So absolutely, man. Well said. Best director. Groundbreaking in terms of what the team did for the sport. Team oriented basketball. The Spurs. Anytime you're at Lifetime and you make an extra pass during a pickup game, everyone always says, "Oh, San Antonio Spurs basketball." So I'm with you guys. Well said. <laughs> Is that really what happens? I mean, I really don't go play pickup basketball at the gym, but damn. I would feel really good about that, man. Making that extra pass to get a shot off for your guy. I would feel a lot good. of selfish dudes. A lot of selfish dudes. Who's your best director in a movie, brother? Um, I mean, dude, that's kind of hard for me, dude. Like I said, I don't really don't watch movies like that. Okay. but That's fair. Fair, I'll, get, I'll get back to you. Don't worry. Before before worry. this uh, this podcast is over, I will be I will be on you. You're good, bro. Look, man. Can I give you, you, I give you a recommendation, Go Chef? Throw me something, bro. If you hit All me right, with man. Tarantino, <laughs> I'm not gonna hit you. We've seen we've seen and done enough Tarantino pods. That's I feel like we're gonna get nauseous with how often we bring him up. But I think oh, something that Woody Allen. I think. Oh my God, Woody Allen. I think something that would fit you, Chef, is – I'm not saying this because you're a brownie, because okay, you're a Pakistani if boy. You, if you hit me with Slumdog Millionaire right now, I swear No, 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 no. I got something even better, bro. Have you seen Life of Pi? Yeah. Okay. That's the 2012 Best Director winner with Ang Lee. I was going to throw that at you. Uh, but if you haven't seen – let me give you another one. This is a must – this is a must watch. No Country for Old Men. The Coen brothers won it oh, for this movie. Fucking phenomenal. No Country for Old Men. Is that really what the thing is yeah, called? Yeah, it's a great movie. Javier Bardem so, probably best performance. So, yeah, if Heath Ledger hadn't played the Joker in The Dark Knight, Javier Bardem probably holds the title for the greatest villain in any movie ever played with this the force of nature that he plays in this movie. So, bro, do yourself a favor. Catch No Country for Old Men. Uh, dude, Shut. I have a whole list right you now. Got it, Brand. Add one more on there, because my best director that I've seen in in all the Oscars, in my opinion, a really underrated movie. Um, it won the Oscar in 2001, and this director has been around for quite some time. And I think this is probably SBA's best movie, but A Beautiful Mind uh, mm. was probably one of my favorite movies that I've seen. Very subtle, and it has to be probably one of Russell Crowe's best performances. Uh, and it showed me that Russell Crowe was a phenomenal actor because this guy was able to do Gladiator and then from Gladiator turn over to a beautiful mind. So Ron Howard is the director, chef, and the movie is a beautiful mind. And it actually goes about uh, the character that ends up uh, that we end up having here with Tim Nash is or sorry, John Nash um, is phenomenal. And he's actually the one who ends up winning the Carnegie Scholarship for Mathematics. 
and it just shows you that you know anybody could be probably some of the smartest person one of the smartest people you could ever see um and you know you never have to you never judge a book by its cover and i think this is one of those wholesome movies that even though it's about 19 years old can really resonate with an audience today in 2021 yeah i mean i mean probably i don't know i would have to do a little more research but as far as i can remember nabil Probably the first movie, the first mainstream movie that puts a lens on the condition of paranoid schizophrenia in its main character, too. So groundbreaking in its own right. Yeah, I mean, we don't see that like we don't see the protagonist in many movies, you know, dealing with, uh, you know, mental, you know, mental health issue or anything, and especially a chronic one. And to have the main protagonist in this movie, you know, portrayed in such a manner that it's also you handle the sensitivity of something as serious as this so well, too. Uh, yeah, the movie's just fucking phenomenal, Chef. I'll let you watch on your own. You let us know what you think about it. But, Dude, yeah, I have a lot of movies to watch great. on my own right now. There you go. Perfect. Perfect. So, man, we're on the foreign. Bro, we got to we got we we've, we have gone a fucking hour and 11 into this, bro. We got to end up What do y'all want to do as the last one? Do y'all want to do foreign documentary nah, or cinematography? Was, I'm I'm bad for the best documentary. I think that has to be done. I think the best foreign movie we're all in agreement here. It's got to yeah. be The Spurs, right? Manu Ginobili. Yes. Easily okay. wrapped it up. What's the movie, cool. man? Hurry up. I got to write uh, well, to Lagan, well, come on movie, now. Lagan. Before we uh, yeah. Really? Bala, hold up. Have you seen that movie? Wow. No, I haven't. I'm surprised you didn't go with like Parasite. No, like bro, Lagan from 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 somebody Vala, uh, if you have Pakistani guys, yes. Go watch Lagan. Go watch the movie. It's a long ass movie, Vala, but it's the first representation of uh or of the concept of taxation without representation and pretty much putting a war against it to have some sort of uh some sort of like rebellion against uh the British monarch at this time. And it's literally about these guys uh, of villagers who can't afford to pay double taxes and they end up challenging the British monarch <laughs> to a game of cricket to avoid paying taxes forever. And it's, it's fucking phenomenal. It's three I'm hours. The most brown thing you're ever going to see. Y'all, I'm not going to play. I'm not going to pay this. I was, taxes, but I'll I was just about to say it is. I'm going to fucking ball you out in cricket real quick and fuck with you. Bro. What year? What year is this movie from? Lagan, I think, came out in 01, I want to say. It was India's nomination for best foreign film in, in the Oscars. Oh, I got you. I got you. And uh, yeah, it got nominated. It didn't win, but it, it was nominated for best uh, for best foreign film that year in 2001 yeah 2001 okay solid choice y'all ever y'all ever see crouching tiger hidden dragon that's that the one with uh, bruce lee no <laughs> very racist of you to it say is. bruce lee um no it's it's a slurry of other uh is it a different type of lee or well it was angley was the director you weren't off you were not was, too was, far off shout Chow Yun Fat, Michelle Yeoh. Chow Yun Yo, Fat, there we go. That's that's yeah, a name right there in Chinese. Cinema. It's you want to talk about the greatest the greatest martial arts movie ever made. It's probably Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, and nothing even comes close. So another one y'all should add to your list. I'll add Lagon to mine. That's a two thousand. Oh, Boom. See, I was around the same time. All right, bet. Yeah, well, I'm I'm about it then. That's that's what's up. All right. So do y'all want to close this out with the best cinematography or the best documentary? We said documentary. Yeah, All right, let me hear what y'all got. I think Bro. we all have a sort Go of similar it. answer. I got, the, I got the Heat, bro, as the best documentary, only because of the fact that the Heat 
really label the super team that we're seeing nowadays in the NBA, man. That that move by LeBron James joining a Dwayne Wade in the heat with the Chris Bosh, man. I think, I'm going to just be speaking for myself, no one was expecting that sort of trade to happen. That was probably the biggest shakeup in NBA history that I've seen. I mean, like I said, I'm, I'm a lot younger than you guys. I'm a child. So for me, that was probably the biggest turning point in the NBA history for me. LeBron joining the Heat, making that super team. That, that's, yeah. that's it for me, bro. Best documentary. People, people forget. And I'm the same, Chef. I, I 100% agree with your pick. Bro, people forget. Like in that offseason, the 2010 offseason, people were speculating LeBron's probably going to go. He's going to go to the Knicks. He's going to expand his legacy with the big market team. Or he's going to join forces with Derrick Rose and, you know, try to make Chicago LeBron City instead of MJ City. Or he was going to go back to the Cavs and fulfill his promise of winning a championship. The Heat were like this outside, you know, like a, a better's, better's odd of, of winning the LeBron sweepstakes were not in their favor. But they were this outside team and let alone bringing in Chris Bosh, who was also – a free was he a free agent or did they end up trading for Bosch? I can't remember. Free agent, bro. Yeah, so two free agents and bringing back Wade, re-signing Wade, this is unprecedented, right? I mean, even the Celtics when they made their big three, it was the front office bringing these three guys together. It wasn't them going on their own accord, much the same way as the big threes in that in the history having guys that were drafted to situations or they were traded in the situations. Like you said, Chef, you know, the Heatles were a team that really started the player empowerment movement. And it's all it's all laid out for them. The resume speaks for itself. Four NBA finals, two titles. Uh, you wish Dwayne Wade didn't start fading away with knee issues after a year or two, or else LeBron may have stayed for a few more years. Um, and we always talk about them losing to the Mavs. But, y'all, let's not forget, the Mavs swept Kobe Bryant, who had just won back-to-back NBA championships. They beat the OKC Big Three the year before they went to the finals. And they beat a Portland Trailblazers team that was essentially the last breath of Brandon Roy and LaMarcus Aldridge's big duo kind of moment together. So, yeah, man, we think about a lot of quotes in NBA history. You think about Michael Jordan saying, I'm back. You think about Alan, you think about Allen Iverson ranting about practice. Yeah, bro. LeBron James saying, I'm taking my talents to South Beach. Which a lot of people don't know this. That's him paying homage to Kobe Bryant saying that he was taking his talents to the NBA when he was trying to decide whether or not he was going to go from high school to college or the pros. So a little bit of a Kobe Bryant shout out embedded in the history of the Miami Heat. Well said, Chef. Uh, as far as movie goes here, what's you don't have to go Oscar because I feel like there's so many documentaries. What's the best documentary you've got on your list, brother? Uh, if you guys haven't seen this, I think it's on Netflix still. Wild Wild Country. No, you guys I haven't not. seen this. Not, Are y'all no. serious? It's about a it's about a cult that actually started in India and they came out. Man, I think to Oregon. Um, fuck, what were they called? I think they were called the Sannyasins. No, nothing. Dang, I finally watched something that y'all haven't watched. Look at this. Don't need to get on this and watch this. Vala, it's going to give you a whole different perspective on what me and the build are going through right now <laughs> in our in our religion. Very similar. but In what sense? 
Well, in the sense of how we conduct our business, how you can definitely see that there's corruption in religion, pretty much in any religion, really, and how you go about doing things. This guy pretty much started this cold, brought all these people in and took all of their money, not in like a, a weird like, oh, I'm just going to be scamming you. He took their money, bought all these luxurious items for him to live that lavish lifestyle. And they're just stuck, you know, living this cult lifestyle. So in that sense, yeah, dude, I think he definitely played these people, but he gave them a different, like, way of looking at life, which I think religions all do. But this just took it at a different level, man. There was so much corruption. There's a lot of people getting killed. I don't know, man. Y'all need to watch this. Y'all definitely need to watch it. It's on Netflix, man. And it's the typical guru, long-ass beard, white hair. Looks like he hasn't ate food in, like, a couple of years. Hasn't showered. That's what he looks like. So he's that typical guy, man. Interesting. I'm going to be way more cultured after y'all's movie references. And then Chef is just going to be a highbrow film elitist snob after our references. (laughs) We're going to... We're going to compliment each other very well. As far as my movie, I've got the 2009 Oscar winner for best documentary, The Cove. Y'all ever heard about this one? I heard about The Cove. I never really watched it, though. How was it? Man, it's sad. It's basically it's oh. this little like it's a local f- little fishing village in Japan where these activists are trying. They go on a covert mission to uncover the practice, the illegal practice of these people essentially brutally capturing and killing dolphins for meat, for their skin, for profits, for, you know, uh, basically unscientific yet culturally relevant myths about the benefits. Was this the one where they are giving those dolphins to like SeaWorld and everything like that? Is that, is that the same thing? No, 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 it's different. Different I know the one you're talking about, though. That, that's a legendary one as well. But this one is insane, man. It's It really was the first time animal rights came into my mind. And as someone who largely eats plant-based for that reason, man, this movie, I mean, it was ahead of its time. This is way before the vegan movement was came about. And uh, I think it did a great job of really humanizing dolphins and a lot of misperceptions about how intelligent and how cognizant dolphins are. Came Dolphins from this are movie. People too, man. Dolphins are people. Yeah. So if y'all haven't seen it, if y'all get a, if y'all get a minute and you're and you're down for a little tear, I think this is one you got to catch. On the list. <laughs> Love it. I'm not much for sad movies, but you know what? I'm a sucker for dolphins. Man. Dude, Nabil, me, close this out, yeah, homie. Bro, for me, my I think the documentary I want to uh, do is for uh, a team that you guys mentioned previously as well. Uh, I think the KD, Steph, and Clay Super Team. Um, we haven't seen a team like this ever. I mean, we, you know, we talk about these three guys, uh, KD, Steph, and Clay. Either one of these three could be the best player on any championship level team. Uh, Dude, Nabil, for, imagine if they did like a hard knocks for like NBA and they did that season where KD, Kyrie, and Clay Thompson got together. Dude, that would have been phenomenal to watch. So you're, you're right, dude. Yeah, that's a good pick right there. I mean, dude, and the thing is, those are your three best players, and you're not even counting, you know, at that time, who guy who probably won Defensive Player of the Year in Draymond Green, uh, another guy that you had, in Andre Iguodala, like you mentioned, Vala, for former, uh, you know, Finals MVP in that as well. Sean Livingston, who was an automatic bucket from ten feet out. 
I mean, this team was just packed to the brim, and it just was unfair. And I don't think any team could have actually really beat them. And I think that, again, was one of the reasons why LeBron's greatness uh, ended up transcending so quickly was being a, uh, beating a, uh, a team of this caliber. Um, and again, I think to this day, I don't think we've seen a team as talented as this team. And I think it started the precipice that if you can't beat LeBron or you can't beat the best player in the NBA at that time, fuck it. You're just going to pull out all levers and just make a super team, which is probably mm -hmm. an all-star team full of PO talent that should have their own team, but we'll bring them all together. Uh, so yeah, that, I mean, you talk about changing history. Yeah. A team with, uh, KD, Steph and Clay as your three best players. Uh, that's that's fucking you know era changing right there, and uh, to bring it all into full circle again, the best documentary I think I've personally seen, uh, it actually ended up winning uh, best documentary I think in 2014, uh, and it's kind of an homage to uh, to my career as well, uh, Citizen Four, um, which mm -hmm. kind of highlighted uh, the Edward Snowden uh, NSA Booz Allen Hamilton trial that we ended up going through. Uh, and I think to this day, probably the most famous whistleblower um, in the history of our great country, uh, and he a hero, as somebody I would think, uh, some people think traitor, um, but I think the greatest whistleblower, the greatest hero uh, in our modern history, and Edward Snowden. And I think this uh, documentary did a very good job in going over some of the shady nuances practiced by the NSA, the Patriot Act, and a guy who ended up actually being given all this power by working through Booz Allen Hamilton and getting access to all these uh, files and doing what's right, in my opinion, is sharing everything going on to the American public and letting everybody make their own decision for themselves on what they view privacy and censorship being in this country in the next 10 to 15 years. So, yeah, man, for me, it has to be Citizen Four. It's crazy. Thinking, thinking about what Edward Snowden exposed in his whistleblowing and watching that documentary for the first time and being blown away by the, the facts revealed by practices with our NSA, it's crazy to me that such a large segment of our population is still unaware of those practices and how most of those practices still persist today, if not have been expanded today. So yeah, I think it's a very important watch. In terms of relevance to our society today, if you haven't seen it, you've got to catch this documentary. It sheds a light on some some things about our country that aren't so savory boom and or if you guys don't want to watch the whole documentary or if you want to supplement to that documentary edward snowden on joe rogan experience is a must is a must watch as well so oh that's a good that. one that's a good catch, one catch yourself on there but yeah, bro. all right guys let's close this out i'm gonna i'm gonna ask y'all one question real quick just give it to me best big three if you could make it with any three players in the nba today give it to me Ooh, today, huh? If I'm going big three, any three guys today. Shit. I'm going to make it easy for y'all. Give me LeBron James, Anthony Davis, and Steph Curry. Just throw Steph Curry on the LA Lakers, and you've got the best big three that you could possibly make in the NBA right now. Yeah, I, I can't disagree. <laughs> Simple as that. Yeah, I can't, I can't disagree with that at all. I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah that yeah. you got anything else i mean if anything i'd probably replace steph with like uh kevin durant right now but yeah man i, I couldn't disagree with that either oh uh, like a healthy healthy warriors kd paired with lebron a jesus christ kevin durant going i wish i wish we could have 
I wish we could have seen Kobe and LeBron team up. That would have been a pretty fun dude. That would have been too. fun, dude. That would have been scary. That would have been, that would yeah. been scary. Give me, give me Kobe, LeBron, and in like all, in an all G League team, and I think that team gets to the finals. Yeah, Kobe, Kobe turns that center into a better player than what Dwight Howard was with Kobe. Oh, easily. <laughs> Nabil, how many minutes in are we, man? An hour and a half in. so this was one of our longer podcasts appreciate you guys staying with us but we were just having too much fun we had to keep rolling with this and honestly we could probably bring up more categories and keep this going if we had to but i understand uh it's you guys have had your fill on three brown boys with shitty knees and achilles bringing you some premium content so thank you guys for tuning in Hey, Nabil, the real deal, sex appeal, fresher than the color teal, a.k.a. the Dave Franco, Chef Boyardee, the real estate agent you've been looking for, but you just didn't know was right underneath your nose. I'm an and investor, then not an agent. Real estate investor. If you're trying to build up some property, if you're trying to make money outside of the GME stocks, get it, Chef. His contact info is in the podcast. Thank you. Thank you. That's all I needed from you guys. That's it. Just call me. Well, Well, fellas, this was a fun one. I appreciate y'all. I think it's time to say bye. Bye. All right, my guys.